Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So I have been waiting to record this podcast for ages. I had the pleasure of speaking with Neil Belita. So Neil is, and I'm reading this to make sure I get it right. He's an NHS governor. He is the co-chairman of the LGBTQ network and a sexual health wellbeing specialist at King's College NHS Foundation Hospital. He's a writer. He's a speaker. He is a human rights activist and he is a health equity campaigner. This man is amazing. And this podcast follows a similar sort of format as episode 156 when I interviewed Sally Fredericks. And I say that because I am asking Neil questions about, in particular, the LGBTQ issues we face as a community. But then it kind of just turns into like a just a natural discussion. And at the beginning of this interview, I'm trying to ask questions. I'm really trying to get my language correct. And I'm stumbling and tripping over my words. And in the back of my mind, I just thought, I will just re-record those questions to make it sound a little bit more, you know, like slicker. And then as we were talking towards the end of the interview, I thought I'm not going to edit it out because this is real life. And when you are asking people about topics that you don't feel 100% clued up about and maybe feel a bit nervous to address because you don't want to get it wrong, you, you mess up. And that's okay. It's okay because we're learning. It's okay because we care about the other person and we're trying to do it right. And I think when you're, if you're on a podcast or if you're speaking in public, you know, you don't want to sound stupid. You don't want to say anything offensive, but I'm going to leave it as it is to kind of practice what I preach. And throughout this conversation and the purpose of this podcast is for us to just take a step back and think about how we are incorporating equality, diversity and inclusion into the core values of what we do and the services we provide. So I'm going to stop there. I'm really, really proud of this episode. I've learned so, so much and it's really, really important. There's lots of tips that Neil shares. And yep, enjoy. 
Hey, Neil, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I am great, Tara. How are you? I'm good. I've been very, I've been, this has been in the pipeline for a long time. <laughs> I know. It has. Thank you. I can appreciate, I do appreciate how busy you are. Would you be able to share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do for your work? First and foremost, Tara, thank you for having me and happy Pride for the NHS. Well, Pride has been moved. So my name is Neil. My pronouns are he, him. I'm a sexual health intervention prevention specialist nurse here at King's College NHS Foundation Trust. I'm also the NHS governor representing the staff nurses and midwives. And I'm also the LGBT chairman for the LGBT network for King's College. And yes, Tara, so a lot of hats in there, but equally, I'm happy to do everything. So what kind of drew me I was trying to think how did we connect I can't remember how did we connect um we connected because like I was I was looking for leaders in healthcare and you were one of them in there regarding about like creating changes in the primary care yeah and then um, driving some changes in in making sure that healthcare would be up to par to the 21st century and I added you and I was like oh my god your podcast is really amazing so sliding the dms there you know (laughs) (laughs) that was it and then I saw your so then I kind of stalked you and then I I think we connected just as you got um elected co-chair Yes, indeed. So tell us how that came to be and why you wanted to sit on the board. So basically, one of the co-chairs is like, before that, I've I've always been like a human rights activist and always campaigning for health inequalities within our community. It's not just within LGBT issues. I'm also campaigning for women's rights issues, race inequalities, gender pay gap and Black teenage pregnancies, um, the minorities, and basically what what had happened same time last year, I created the Bisexual Visibility Month within um, the end of September, so within this year, last year, and it was attended by about 180 people all over London. It was an awareness about shedding the light of bisexual individuals. Um, Having said that, because I created a lot of um, tractions with the events that I made, the projects that I created, and the programs I've 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 done with disability women, LGBT. They've asked me to be part of the chairmanship for the LGBT. Then I was nominated to um, for the LGBT chairman. So there was like three co- um, three chairmans right now because we have approximately, or if I'm not mistaken. 489 or now probably 550 strong members in LGBT within Kings. So there's so much that we could talk about, but I do think you're going to have to, you're going to have to have like a reoccurring slot, but I think I would really love for you to, for us to have a discussion around some of the issues around the LGBTQ community And we had a really good discussion and I was saying, and I have to kind of choose my words, I'm going to mess up, but I was saying to you, because I don't care what sexuality people are, 
I don't ask because I just think I'm Tara, you're Neil. I don't, I'm interested in you, but because I, I don't believe I've got any prejudices around people's sexual orientation and how they choose to live their life, I wouldn't ask. And in doing that, I, it's made me realize maybe my actions, because I feel like I'm being, um, open and just like, I just want to know what you're doing at the weekend. I don't ask and shy away from it because it's not, it is important, but because it's not important. I'm just trying to to think of how to put it because I'd feel like I don't hold any prejudices. I'm not going to ask, but in not asking or not showing an interest, I may be making somebody feel like I don't feel like that part of their life is important. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And um, don't get me wrong, um, Tara, what you're doing is sometimes majority of the people are doing, I mean, heterosexual like you and probably your husband and some of your friends, if some gay man who could passing as quote unquote, what we said, passable straight guy or a passable um, straight woman who's identified themselves as bisexual, gay or lesbian, they would not feel all the harassment and all the um, discrimination because they are passable, meaning they look like a straight guy or a um, a straight woman. It doesn't really matter. However, the one thing that are um, most discriminatory in in this kind of regards is that when someone within your group or someone within like the people that you're working with or the staff that you're working with or the patients that you're serving with are a bit odd and different. This is where like, ooh, that's something. Or like so, uh, like a very fem- um, highly feminine with mustache and a little bit of makeup and nail polish and um, wearing some tight tops and, and skirt, but with a big, like with beard, that would tr- throw you off or th- throw, even when I start to begin about talking about gender fluidity, it still throws me off even this time, but I kept an open mind. It's all about like, sometimes we are very forgiving to the people who are passable, but it's not about that. It's all about treating everyone, even though they're non-binary, gender diverse, gender fluid, or trans um, transsexual, or even transitioning individual to be part of like a normal conversation are they protected at the workplace are they being visible are there um differences being celebrated or are they being silenced okay. that's the thing can you give me some examples of some of the prejudices people face or the discrimination people face because you said oh Tara, you'd be so shocked and yeah it was shocking and i think it's so you know, and we came away from that conversation and I felt embarrassed. I felt, I I don't see it. And I think if, you know, like if you were me, you know, like me being black, you wouldn't see some of the things that I would experience. You know, you just passed it because you just think, Tara, I think you're cool. And you just see me for me. Um, so I think it's really important. I think if we, the aim of this podcast, this particular episode is for, to make people think, what are they not seeing? What could they say? How can they just be mindful of their little biases um, just to make life a little bit more easier and to, for us to just be more aware of, of what is around us? 
we just have to be, um, as what you said a while ago, like you as being black, me as being Asian, and sometimes they people say like, "Oh, you're not that Asian. You're not that kind." <laughs> of, oh my God! Like, what do you mean by that? Oh, you, this is the same thing. You're not that kind of gay. Excuse me. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So. so Within the NHS, as an employer, as a network, as a, if you're sitting on the director's level or in a way of like a board of directors with with the clinic um, with the governance, you need to make sure that equality, diversity, and inclusion needs to be in the heart of everything that we do. Simple things that you can do is like creating, um, putting pronouns in your emails. So by by saying like. Say for example, in your case, Tara Humphrey, she, her, yeah. Neil, Neil Baulita, he, him, and basically, it even though it's not, it does not give you. Sometimes you think like, what's the point of this one? But even those simple nuances that you put onto your emails could give a recognition that you are an ally, that you okay. are recognizing the staff and the patients as well, that you are for diversity. And secondly, amongst that one as well is our language. Language in words means a lot. And basically, and what, what I meant by that one, if you've um, if you've addressed someone who's like different, who's non-binary, it's so difficult because, of course, this is something very new to our language in terms about non-binary using the plural terms of they, them, and not is, are, but are, and and the plural form. Anyways, so by doing that, apologizing about it is the good way to do it because all of us are learning. All of us are are not perfect, and yeah. and um, we need to recognize that the diversity of sexuality and gender identity is a fact. Not um, and this should not be ignored. And this is the same thing as any form of diversity: diversity of our ideas, diversity of our culture, diversity of of what we believe in. And in regards about within the LGBT, it's amazing that. Um, this week is the NHS Pride because the NHS is one of the biggest in Europe in of LGBT employers, and we we have to um, realize that you know within the whole the whole of the NHS, there's I think thirteen point seven percent staff surveys back uh, in the NHS last year. Thirteen percent of the staff, both clinical and non-clinical, are identifying themselves as gay, lesbian, bisexual, or trans, or non-binary. And then how would that affect care? It affects that, oh, if we are looking after our staff, therefore me as a patient, I'll be looked after, maybe in primary care, secondary care, or specialist service. Could you give us some examples of where people have been discriminated? Um, because of their sexual preferences? Um, clinical staff or patients? If you do both, let's start with clinical. So clinical staff, this is um, very interesting, most especially if pay, um, some, um, well, if I'm not being like, I just want to be like abroad about this. It's, it's a very touchy subject because it okay. just happened recently within our trusts. And basically it's all about the um, trans woman, the, the person the trans, she's still not fully trans, so not passable. So there was like a discrimination towards her from some of the clinicians, from the consultant, and also from the 
member of the public. And it's a very touchy subject because there's really no structured policies in protecting non-binary and trans staff in regards about the gay couples and lesbian um, couples who are like staff within the NHS is just very new that they can have like a maternal leave or paternal leave. These little yeah. nuances, yeah. you know, like, oh, we didn't think about that. Yes, of course you wouldn't think about that because majority of our NHS policies are extracted from the 90s or even like early 2000 and not being updated. So um, update of policies and procedure that could be mindful for the LGBT staff are really, really important. And of course, there's no policies up until now about people who want to transition. To be honest with you, Tara, it does not take like overnight to transition. It takes years. And sometimes they go for they go for their own. Some, um, it takes about five years for waiting in the waiting in the NHS to be recognized as you know, for gender assessment, five years. Now I'm talking for patients now because there's not a lot of services in the country that caters trans and non-binary people. And this is where it lies the issue because for our patients, they go to the black market. Okay. They take some hormones from some parts of the world, maybe in Southeast Asia, Africa, or um, Eastern Europe, to increase the, their testosterone or in, or decrease their testosterone, depending. And this caused a lot of issues because it's not monitored. Their blood levels are not monitored. So good. the good thing about this now is like within, there's a movement within the NHS where like the pride in practice has um, be, through the LGBT foundation, a charity has now been, this stem in Manchester, I believe, is now, um, helping GPs, dental okay. practices, pharmacists, and even opto- um, optometrists in making sure that they create health provisions for LGBT individuals in their community. Can everywhere, does everywhere have that access to that pride in practice? So the CCG, yeah. Uh, so the CCG, say for example, here in South um, Southeast London, Lambeth, Lewisham, and Southwark will need to go to the LG and um, the LGBT foundation will will present to the CCG and the CCG will then approve and then they will have um, the pride in practice in place to GP GP practices probably a note in um in the in the reception saying like we are pride in practice basically people who wants to to discuss about about hormone levels gender reassignment, psychological um, psychological support and assessment, and all of these things will be supported. And we need to realize that, you know, we seem to be like a lot of the people who are already identified themselves as gay or lesbian um, are very good in their profession. But how about the young generation, the youth who are homeless, who are like vulnerable? So they're the one that the GP practices and the CCG needs to look after because they have a high level of mental health issues and also suicidal rate amongst young LGBT. In your role as co-chair, how do you set the strategic direction? How do you know what to focus on when the agenda, you know, like just there's so much to be thinking about. How do you hone in on your strategy for the next few years? I'm I'm so happy that King's College right now is making EDI 
inclusion, diversity, and equality as the core values of our the next five years. We've just launched it this year, and we have a new EDI director that is always meeting the LGBT chair. And basically, we have a timeline on what to do and how to respond. And we work together with the workforce as well to make sure that the LGBT staff are well supported, more especially if they have like adoption papers that they need to go for. They need to have like sickness because of mental health breakdown, because of like transitioning and all this stuff. So we have now trying to create policies. And I need to be mindful as well, Tara, that I am a gay man. I could not say and I could not create policies for a lesbian woman because that's not my lived experiences. And that's what an allyship should be. I could not, as a gay man, as a gay Asian man, I could not say like, oh, this is, I'll be part of the BAME community and I need to, I need to create policies for a, a Black woman because that's not my lived experiences. So being a chairman for the LGBT here in Kings, I need to make sure to provide spaces, to provide platform and to provide voices for people so that um, for the lesbian community, for the bisexual community and for the non-binary and trans community because their voices are equally important. But how do you prioritize? How do you say, okay, we are going to put our energy and resources into X when that will take focus away from Y? And they're just, you know, they are important. Everything is important. How do you focus so you actually, you know, year on year, you can see clear, tangible progress and the reason why I'm asking this is because we're all in the world of integrated care now. We all have to combine our collective power and our collective issues to to work together. But the agenda is huge. How do you prioritize? It's a very tricky uh, situation because at the end of the day, of course, we also have some clinical work on top of what we're yeah. doing right now. One of the things is basically making sure that this is one of the projects that the ICS or the Integrated Care um, Network in Southeast London are doing, are creating changes within the the computer system. And we are so, that's our really, really main priority. Basically, anyone who's like accessing the service within the NHS, both staff and the community and, and the people that we're serving, both in um, in the um, in the community and in- including primary care services, there need to be options, options about changing names, options about like uh, what we are doing now right now with the workforce um, workforce committee is that making sure that there would be preferred um, gender assigned birth. And then sexuality. So it's very important because as of the moment, majority of the times, if we are not putting these data in computer, meaning we're erasing them, they're not recognized. And for me, as as a chairman, it is important that we are making sure that everyone are counted. If we don't have data of staff, and if we don't have data for our patient as well, how can we create action plans? Yeah. So that's the reason why with the Apollo service by King's partnership together with guys and St. Thomas King's NHS Foundation 
hospital, we're now doing this like robust changes with our computer system, but it does take time. Yeah. It's not an overnight um, situation because part of um, part and foremost, software, legislation, ethics committee, but we're always there. That's our main agenda. Because if we cannot even change the computer system with the NHS to a 21st century of inclusivity and diversity, who are we as a network? Could I ask for people that are, have been newly appointed to a board, you've said, you know, my role is to, you know, bring in the voices, hold the space, make sure as many people are represented and you're feeding up and you're feeding down. But when you very first started, what did you think you were there to do and what support do you have with your own professional development so you are an effective board member? It was a shock. I'm being honest <laughs> with you. <laughs> um, I just took all the necessary questioning, like what should I be doing here? What what do you want me to do? What's our main objectives? And constant coaching from different networks as well, and constant meetings with the EDI team. To be honest with you, what I uh, what I br- uh, brought in t- with me are my ex- um, experiences and my expertise in re- in the fields of sexual health, okay. and also in the fields of human rights and social inequalities. Because if you don't have, if you are a board member, and you don't have a knowledge about social inequalities, I don't believe that you can be as effective as you can be because you will just be out of touch. So that's one thing. And secondly, um, I think being with the people, what I meant by that is like making sure that you're less, you have time, allocated time, that you have, uh, you can listen to, to the people that you're serving because we're servants at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, um, we're here for the people because we have a collective goal of making sure that the diversity and inclusivity needs to be actioned by the board members so where you say you've got allocated time there'll be people listening to this thinking I would love allocated time to do my job (laughs) so we're still (laughs) because that's not within the NHS policies sad to say and that's the reason why like we're juggling this in between our clinical time in between our clinical workload and in between our lunch breaks yeah (laughs) And it's sad, but then again, things are changing because those allocated time has now been reached to the board member. Um, that's mm-hmm. part of the governor's meeting that I've been doing because if a certain, like say, say for example, CCG or primary care providers, or an, in my case, an NHS trust says like diversity, inclusivity needs to be there in the heart of everything that we do. They need to make sure that the network chair needs to have a protected time and that should be written in policies by the workforce board member it's there it's going traction but we're just waiting for it but we're we're happy that we're being supported by the NHS um, um, improvements and um, how to call this all the people from the NHS England as well and I'm so happy that Michael Brady Dr. Michael Brady who's the national advisor for the LGBT health is also one of our consultants. So 
we're bounce, bouncing back and forth with ideas on how to promote more LGBT issues and tackling them within our hospital. How much, as a chair, how much of your lived experiences do you bring to the table or do you have to, it's not about you and it's about the community you serve? How do you balance that? It's so hard because sometimes it's all about, um, we have our own biases. Yeah. And because it's human, it's just human nature. However, once I've like, now that I've been, you know, in this uh, role for quite some time, every time I go for a um, event or uh, even an outdoor house parties, because house parties are not allowed these days, um, an outdoor picnic, I always listen to lived experiences of lesbian women, of a bisexual man, or or how can we promote um, issues like this? And I'm just so happy that being a um, chairman for LG, um, LGBT made me listen more rather okay. than about my lived experience because it's not about because um to be honest with you I was never bullied as a gay guy I lived in a country where being gay is not is frowned upon but kind of accepted in a way so and my parents were very supportive of me so I don't want that privilege that I have to be over to be a blanketed approach I want to make sure that I'm able to listen to the Latino community to the black community because I don't have the same lived experiences as a black gay male or a black woman um, who's identifying themselves as lesbian or bisexual so you mentioned the the period of transition is long and there isn't as much expertise and support out in the community as there should be. So people go on the black market. What else, what other key issues are prominent at the moment? Oh, there's a lot, actually. One of the biggest thing I think is mental health, which good, um, everyone are talking about it. And Thank God it's been on the spotlight because majority of the time people are then supplying themselves as LGBTQ always identify they have a certain um, level of, of anxiety and depression because of societal pressure. And that's one of the factors, mental health. I even have like a friend back in 2018 committed suicide because of this. And he, you would never understand why. He's just newly engaged, personal trainer. You think like his life is all set up and then boom, died in Victoria, Victoria Park, um, committed suicide. And you never know what's going on in people's yeah. mind, you know? So mental health is one of the biggest factor in LGBT individuals. And um, secondly, about this is prostitution. And one of the things being is like, if you are a black um, trans individual, you're more likely to to end up being a prostitute, and because of this one, there's all um, because of the lack of support within the black community. Being gay or being trans is like a taboo. They went to the black market. They don't have a lot of money, so they go for prostitution. Then they they can they can potentially contract HIV, which is even a, a much more wider issue. So there's there's that. There's a third um, third thing, and then also older LGBT individuals 
we need to talk about that because people who've been identifying themselves as an older LGBT who are like in their um, 60s and 70s right now face loneliness. And then we, se- we send this older LGBT to a heteronormative care homes. And people don't understand that. Like, how can you put them that in a care home without a specific care that they don't identify. So that is one of the issues as well. So it's a multifaceted issue. And if you go really dig deeper in in this one, it's like from birth to grave. Yeah, of course. So on your board, is it just employees of Kings or do you have wider organisations that sit on the board? Okay, so in the board of LGBT, this is network staff focus. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there will be, however, we do have the steering committee. The steering committee are the one that, um, as I told you about the people that we don't have lived experiences. So there will be people who are identifying as bisexuals, um, trans and, and stuff like that. However, when I had a meeting, I'm going to answer your question about this. <laughs> when I had a meeting with our EDI director, um, Funmi, she, um, I told her, like, we cannot just be focusing on our staff. We need to have an EDI lead for our community. And I'm just happy to announce to you, Tara, that um, King's is now employing someone who's like the lead for inclusion diversity specific for our patient group. So any discrimination and any form of like um, bullying, harassment, or like a slight, you know, these nuances, these biases will be um, that are experienced and reported by um, by the people that we're serving will be reported directly to that director. Do you have a recommend, so, you know, like trying to think of a, a training, so unconscious bias. So I've done that a couple of times in two different roles and I thought it was really 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 helpful like I still remember it today I still talk about it today and it makes me check myself and especially if I'm recruiting sometimes I think you know why am I thinking this why am I thinking that it was really really helpful other people say well that we don't need we don't need any more training we don't need any more equality and diversity training just tick box exercise so what I mean, there's, it's multifaceted. There's loads of things that we could do. But from a training perspective, what best practice have you seen inside of King's? What is helping and making a difference? Ah, okay. So basically, the good thing about um, our our new values right now is that it's just not like, oh, we're now, EDI is the, is the core of what we do. There are specific so basically, say, for example, diversity is the core of what we do. There, then there will be, you cannot say this whilst you are in, while you are in the staff room. Like, oh, Filipinos are doing this, or Black people are always, always doing this, or like gay guys are always doing that. So now the ETI team are very, very specific on what to say and who to report to and how to challenge behaviors. And also in our, because it's so funny because like last week I was interviewing people as well for two roles that I'm, you know, for my team, the EDI needs, um, the EDI team are reviewing our interview process now so that 
inclusion and diversity needs to be there. And then we need to ask this to our staff as well and to the people that we're interviewing. So I'd like, what do you mean about equality? What, how in, in this kind of role, in this kind of work stream? So we're, we're doing, uh, we're getting there, but I think it's not yet fully there because, uh, you know, culture does, takes mountains to move. And it's a cultural shift. But slowly but surely, we're getting there. How do you challenge people when they say things that are inappropriate or just full out unacceptable? (laughs) It's hard, especially if they're more senior than me. The thing about sexual health and HIV and, and what I'm doing right now is like, all of us are very well aware of it, about it. And we, um, we have all the unconscious bias training all the time because, of course, we have a very diverse um, cohort. Our specialty is, you know, for the LGBT specific, sex workers, and even refugees here in Southeast London. So we're very well aware about health inequalities. However, if I go to a different setting, like a very specialist setting, derma, cancer um, area, so it's all about like talking with that person privately and say, do you know, what do you mean by that? So say, for example, I went for my walk arounds in Kings and, and heard something about that. Oh, do about the gay, the, the gay, um, how to call this, the NHS badge. Yeah. It's so funny because the NHS badge has been adopted as the COVID badge for the NHS, which is like, it's totally, totally fine for me as long as we're getting along. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's no ownership of rainbow flag at all. Yeah. However, it's been developed by Dr. Mike from GSTT to be rolled out throughout the NHS so that when you wear the NHS badge, you would then identify yourself as an ally or as an LGBT staff or the patients to recognize that it's safe to talk to you about LGBT issues in health. So that's what the um, NHS badge is for to begin with. But because of COVID, everyone are wearing it. It's fine. And that's the reason why there's now a change of LGBT rainbow flag. Um, If if you've noticed, um, there's a huge shift on that one. However, when I was walking around King's, I was saying like, oh, um, there was like this volunteers and maybe they're not trained so much about Mm -hmm. the, about this issue. They said like, oh no, no, darling, this is not the, the gay flag, the gay badge. This is the COVID badge. And it's, it just gets me, you know, like, like, (laughs) what do you mean? It's not the gay badge. (laughs) It's, it's all about, so basically how I act on it, going back to, to your question, it's just like, asking why and who's training training you about this and how can I tell you the whole history letting them understand the whole history why we get there makes people the centric conversation because I am the kind of person Tara that would not confront people I want to have a center-based conversation because I want us to work together yeah yeah I want them to be on my side as well on this specific issue so when we first met, we talked about um, you saying that you are an activist and you're an ally. And I was thinking, I think we had a conversation it was a bit like, am I an activist? I don't, th- I don't think that I am. You know, what, what does it mean? Um, 
What does it mean to you to be an activist? There's a lot of activism that you can do. You can be an online activist. You can be the one that's like going in the street and blocking on the street or the one like having all those banners and and whatnot to be on the street. But there's also an activist in the boardroom. Okay. So the most effective activist, if you put a pen and paper and write it down and say, like, can we have a conversation about this? Because it's something that is very, very um, that health inequalities or unfairness needs to be addressed. So that is the kind of activist I am. And then sparking the conversation and understanding why their decision-making is like that and finding the common ground to make sure that, okay, you were really not meaning about that. It's just you were not thinking in the specific about unfairness. Yeah. What drives you? Because at the beginning, you listed your roles and you just said, you know, I'll do it all. I'll do, I'll do it. You know, like if I've got the time, I'll do it. Like what drives you? I'm in the brim. <laughs> if I'm being honest, I, I am now in the brim. Like, okay, I have, I wish I have a secretary, but I don't. And because of the sickness of the staff as well, there's like, um, I've been overstretched. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm not doing it all right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, but I'm, you know, good thing I've, is that I'm now, my groove is getting back. My priorities is very clear now and I know what I'm doing. So what um, going back to what um, your question is, it's all about when I'm seeing the underdog, <laughs> that really gets me. Okay. That really, really gets me. And, and I was like, why is things not being done properly? You know, And I always make sure that underdogs' stories and their, their lived experiences would be shed some light because it's not about me, it's about them. Mm-hmm. So this is the one that drives me so much. And this is the reason why we are in the healthcare, because we're, we're here for the underdogs and we're here for everyone. I also wanted to give a shout out to your partner. And we had a really lovely conversation saying that a lot of us couldn't do what we did or do what we do without the support of our families at home. So I, th- I think it is really, really important to acknowledge. And I think, you know, like the busy, pe- you know, if you want something done, you give it to a busy person. You sit on one board, you sit on, t- you know, like you sit on one board or can you sit on this board? Can you sit on that board? And it's like, oh, yeah, go on then. <laughs> you know, like, and it does it. I mean, I won't speak for everybody. It does impact your personal life. Um, but you helped me really, you, when we had that conversation, you really, you know, without the support of my husband and my kids, and they're very, you know, I sometimes think I'm the luckiest person. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Tara is a superwoman. <laughs> Cycling, running, running a podcast, <laughs> running a business with kids and husband. How can you do this? It's because I don't... Because I, I, I feel like, it, I hate, I hope he, he doesn't listen to this, but I, it is largely because of him because he just lets me get on with it I say to him babe and he's like yeah (laughs) I think I'm so impressed by you Tyra every time I said like I'm slipping away with my with my routine with fitness and there you are you're on the top of your game and and basically as what you said 
my, I could not do this without the love, support, and understanding of my partner. And he keeps on telling me, Neil, I'm not the activist type, but what you are doing is for our community. And yeah. that's the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm supporting you for all of this. Mm-hmm. If anything that I can do for our community, you will be the, the prime example. And that's the reason why I'm, I'm there for you. And true enough, like I keep on telling him like, oh my God, I'm so stressed with, with, all, with all the things happening at work right now. He just let me vent out. And then he knows what, um, what it is. And of course, those little things, cooking for you, even though I'm cooking. And I said like, no, I don't want you to cook. I'm going to cook on the weekend then. So things like that. And then making sure that you're, he's now like your psychologist at some point, because like listening to all of you, but, and then you would, then he, you just, he just let me talk about it because the more I talk about the issues and the problems, the more I could say like, oh, yes, I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's nice to have a sounding board that's outside um, of your work. One of the things, so one of the, um, we had a conversation and hopefully people will take lots of different things from this conversation. When we had a conversation, it prompted me to really think about my own, do I have biases? And I've got three children, so... Oh, you know, I buy them books and more, I'm trying and really make a conscious effort. And it's quite hard to find them books that don't have, you know, like it's white or yellow or pink people on them to try to find books that represent diversity. And um, I bought my eldest, um, I've forgotten the name of the book, but that was about a transsexual boy at school. And I think as it's little things, you know, like it's when you go to buy a book and just it's checking yourself and thinking, be, I'm being really conscious of like, not like what I'm feeding, not physically feeding, you know, like food wise, it's like, what am I feeding the kids? What messages am I giving them? What do we watch on TV? What conversations are we having? You're you're so right with this, Tara. You know what? Because at one point of our lives, we're kids and what our parents actions and like you know how they react on situations or like little things when they're in the car with us and then oh look at that girl look at what she's wearing you know how our parents were were talking privately it will be creating our own biases as well Mm. that's the reason why a lot of the people it's so hard to break their their unconscious bias or like their prejudices about something because it's been like quote-unquote at heart at home because they could hear this from their grandparents or from their parents so it's all about the these little little conversations that we have in inside the car in the house in the kitchen in dining table um whilst whilst we're traveling and then the more that we we open the communication to a wider debate about about um, diversity in my case with my parents I was I was so blown away with my dad because he's always making sure that I'm always checked he always makes sure what do you think about this Neil and my voice was important even though I was 10 years old and this is the reason why I have this capacity to speak out for other people because my parents especially my dad provided me a platform even though I was a 10-year-old boy, 
provided me my voice of reason. Mm. I think one thing is another thing I've kind of picked up on, which is really important in any warp of life, to be honest, it's around being, you know, when you're not quite sure what to say, but being brave enough to say, I'm not quite sure what to say, but what I'm trying to say is this. And people don't do that. So it goes back to, you don't want to ignore people. But I think the reason why people are ignored is because you don't want to get it wrong. So people say it with me. People kind of say, you know, they don't want, they just don't want to say whatever they're trying to get out. And it's like, you know, like it feels really, you know, like they're digging a hole. <laughs> you like stop talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, but we kind of, it, it's a partnership. You have to let, Whatever side of the fence you are on, you have to let people try to articulate what they're trying to articulate and accept and forgive that they may get it wrong. You're totally right. You've hit the nail on the head in that one, Tara, because by constant conversation and opening up on that one, you're basically creating a common ground all the time in any walks of life, as what you've said. And also... Sometimes we, we as, as what you said as well, sometimes we have like unconscious bias towards a certain group of people or so, so, so certain individual. You just have to clear it out to this individual. Oh, by the way, I, so say for example, by the way, I, um, I really want to clarify in this um, situation. What do you mean by that one? Can you mm-hmm. just like shed some light on this topic or your behavior in this kind of case? I don't want to get it wrong. And admitting our own flaws is the first way because sometimes our ego and our pride is the one that, and our silence could be taken different. Yeah. And I think there's something around, you know, when you're not quite sure, so I might have said something to you and then I think, oh, if I said something wrong or blah, 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 blah. So then I'll go and ask somebody else. And it's like, we just have to go back to the person in question and not solicit the advice from the other person. That, you know, like we can do it with our partners and things like that. But I think in a professional context, we just need to be brave and go to the person in question. Like you say, in private, you know, pick your moment wisely and also really, you know, like, the answers can be found if we just stop and reflect, <laughs> you know, like I think a lot of the time. This is the good thing about COVID um, because we're able to stop and reflect. Yeah. So one of the things I was thinking, and I'm not going to do it now, and I'm going to share it on a podcast, is I'd, I fluff my words trying to find like the right sentence at the beginning of this interview. And I'd made a note and thought, okay, well, I'll re-record that question. And I think, actually, I'm not now. I'm going to practice what I preach because I got there in the end. But, you know, like, because you're worried that you're going to offend or just get it wrong. But I think this is a good example of we got there in the end. If I did say anything that was offensive, please tell me. And, yeah, we're all learning. And I think... When it comes to equality and diversity, I lean more towards race because I'm black. Some people will lean more towards, you know, like age. Some people lean more towards sexuality. Some people will lean more to accessibility and disability. Yeah, there's so much. Absolutely. It's so vast. It's so deep. EDI is personal. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think the reason why I bring that up is that it's a little bit of permission to say, you know, we're not perfect. We're not going to get it right across the board in every single facet of life. But where we can make really big strides is seeing, you know, like you are Neil, I am Tara. You know, like we're just two people. We're just two people trying to make it. (laughs) It's just, I think what I've learned so much within this role and over the past few months, like coaching some, um, a lot of people as well. It's like, you know, just lower down your guard, lower down your ego and see the human being in front of you. Yeah. Because I don't see myself sometimes the race, the sexuality or the, the role that I have. I only see myself that I'm fighting for you and I'm fighting for what is right. And because that's human rights and we need to treat everyone as what we want us to be treated by ourselves as well you know so seeing that and lowering down our pride ego and our roles would create a lot of cultural shifts i think that is a beautiful way to end the podcast thank you so so much if people want to connect with you on social media which is like your best platform where you're most active absolutely so i'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, which both of us are, are in together. So on Instagram, I'm at Neil Baulita. That's N-E-I-L-B-A-U-L-I-T-A. And you could also find me on, on Twitter, which is like Neil Baulita as well. And also on, on LinkedIn, Neil Baulita. So however, um, there might be times that I would be silent on social media because I'm detoxing. I need to do that. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tara. I really appreciate this. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.